Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis. This is MJ Network, named after my sister, Marcia Joyce, and this is going to be so fantastic. We have the author of The Hook with one of my favorite characters in the world, Raymond Dunn, because as an educator, he's got to be one of my favorite. Tim O'Mara is here, and I want to thank you so much, and it's a beautiful day. Good morning, Tim, and how are you, and welcome to MJ Network. I'm good. I'm good, friend. Thank you. It is a beautiful day. I'm here in, uh, not too far from you. I'm in New York City. It's sunny. Yesterday was kind of a lousy day, and uh, we were expecting a, a nice nor'easter tomorrow. So yep, we are. I'll get out there. I'll get out there today and get some vitamin D in my head. Now I'm going to get some tuna and mac salad from the bakery when they text me that they made it for me, special, and some other ah. stuff. Yeah, and and the diner's making me fountain diner's making me pea soup, special just for me. Anybody else that nice. wants it? Yeah, Jeez. this is nice because there's some really nice people up here. So Raymond Dunn is really cool, but he's an educator. He's a dean. But he was a, yes, in the yes. police force, so how come he decided to be smart and become like me, an educator and like you? Seriously, great profession. How come, how come he decided to become a teacher? Yeah, why did he decide to leave the police force and become an educator and a dean? Which well, is he, uh, probably a wise decision. Well, in the first book, he, um, he explains that because of an injury that he holds himself, still holds himself largely responsible for, mm-hmm. Um, he couldn't be the physical cop that he wanted to be. It's just his, his, mm. his knees are just, they just can't handle it. So um, he decided to, as I used to joke with my brother and uh, all of his cop friends, he decided to get to the kids before they came to the attention of the authorities. So he felt he could make a big difference getting the kids mm-hmm. in their early teens and, uh, you know, try to steer them in the right direction. For lack that of a better phrase. So, and so, <laughs> I spent the first 12 years of my teaching career in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And whoa. I'm sorry to say that, yeah, I'm sorry to say that my kids, uh, there was no shortage of my kids' experience with the local precinct, which was very good. It's the 90th, the 90th precinct over in uh, Greenpoint, Williamsburg. A uh, lot of good experiences with them, but too many experiences with them because of the, the lives my children led and the, and the lives that were led around them. So. I taught sixth grade, fifth grade. I taught mostly the classes with discipline problems. They gave them all to me. Mm-hmm. And the kids, when Macarola instituted the transitional program, it's too bad they took it out. It was probably one of the best things in the world. 
And the only time I had to deal with law enforcement was when I was the dean. And basically, it was because somebody got in trouble on the weekend, and the principal didn't want to deal with it, and I shouldn't have. But my students, <laughs> my students remind me on Facebook every single day how wonderful I was and how they appreciated me. Actually, some of them said I saved them a jail cell. They said you I know, saved them because. You know, it's funny you say that because I, I had an assistant principal, my as a dean. The assistant principal sits me down in his office, and uh, this is a pretty good imitation of him. So um, I hope that anybody who knows John Hunter would appreciate this. He, goes, he looks at me and says, here's my definition of you doing a good job. You keep the mm. kids and the parents away from me. And I looked at him and said, I can do that. He goes, we're going to get along just fine. So, yeah, the, the, the administration doesn't want to deal with uh, discipline problems. So that's why you need uh, a, mm. a good dean, and I was a good dean. I also had a very good partner, um, mm. and we, you know, the kids trusted us. And, uh, quite often, the kids would come to us before something happened. Yeah, they 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 trusted me, and I just said, you don't want me to not smile at you, and you don't want me to make a phone call. Yeah. You don't want me to get upset and give you one of my... As a matter of fact, it's funny. I have another question, lots of questions. Instead of giving punishment, punishments, I had a box. And in the box were papers, and you picked your own punishment. You just picked out the paper that told you what you, what, what you were responsible for, and they just did it. This way, I wasn't the bad guy. They did it themselves. So how does his background in law enforcement come into play in his novels? And he's a valuable asset in investigations. So you sort of guess that he's torn between both being a teacher and being a police officer. Well, I think the, the biggest similarity between a good cop and a good teacher is their ability to listen. So much... So much can be accomplished just by keeping your mouth shut. I, I, I took a mm-hmm. um, I took a wonderful conflict resolution class before I became mm. a dean, and one of the first skills this guy taught us was to take our tongues and stick them to the roofs of our mouths while <laughs> someone else is talking. If if a kid in crisis or a grown up in crisis is talking. You should shut your mouth because if they're talking, if they're talking, that that's what they need. They need to be heard. You need to hear what they, how they view the crisis, and mm-hmm. grown-ups, especially when grown-ups are talking to kids, we we tend to want to interrupt with what we know to be right, and here's where you went mm-hmm. wrong, and really. I, I honestly believe this to this day, and I would say this works as a writer too. The single greatest mm-hmm. skill a writer, a cop, and a teacher can have is the ability to listen. Because somewhere, right. somewhere in what they say, whoever you're talking to, is going to be the nugget of truth that you need to get to. Um, you're you're so yeah. right. You're 100% right. And, you know, a lot of people thought that, you know, being a dean, you had to be big and tough and one enough. You just, you, you needed to listen. And listen. That's I'm, right. I'm, I'm a classic Irish Catholic kid. I love to talk. People who know me, they, they know how much I love to talk. So learning how to <laughs> shut up, just, just shutting my mouth and listening was 
such a great skill, and I, I still, you know, practice it today. Uh, not, not as much as some people think I should, but uh, yeah, you know, you know, you you get great stories from other people. I hate to say that too, because as a dean, you're dealing with kids, mm-hmm. and as a cop, you're dealing with kids in crisis. Well, every every crisis is a story, so. You, the, the natural step then is if you're someone who likes to put words together, you've got somebody giving you a story. Just shut up and listen, and it's going to come out. And then you, you know, then you go to the beginning of the book if you're lucky enough to get it published, and you, you accent the point that says uh, what you're about to read is fiction. Any resemblance to people living or dead is purely coincidental. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that didn't. Uh, that was that was a misclaimer in my books. I, I had my in my Faces Behind the Stone series, the first one. I have one called um, Virginia, and it's based on a true story that really did happen. To someone that was wrongly accused by the the principal that's still there now, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. she committed suicide. But Ooh. before she would, before something happened, she told me her story, and I wrote it down. Every word of it, and just listened, and it, it's sad. It's sad because what the yeah. what she was accused of, she never did. So we have Detective James Royce. He gets called. This is so cool. The first scene to the scene of a murder on the roof of a school. How did you create this scene, and why on the rooftop of a school? That's original, people. Yeah, I well, that's it. I I, I look. You know, it's part of the problem with series. This is the fifth. Raymond Dunn. So, and, and by the way, I didn't. I didn't think there was going to be a fourth. I, I got dropped by. Right, let me put it a little more friendly. Oh. St. Martin's. St. Martin's broke up with me. My uh, my editor at the time, a wonderful guy Matt Martz, he left. Mm-hmm. And quite often, what happens is when your editor leaves, you know, everybody's got things to do, and I kind of got dropped. But I was fortunate enough, through the help of Clea Simon and Marjorie Flax, I was introduced to the head of Severn House Publishing um, in at the Book Expo. And we met, we hit it off, so I got a fourth Raymond, and then they asked for a fifth one. So anybody who writes series characters, I believe they have a responsibility to make sure that every book is different than the last one. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to mention any names, but there's too many series out there where yep. I know I've, I've read them, but I couldn't tell you which book was which one. So I want, like, for example, I would love people years from now to go, oh, the hook, that's where the guy was shot by the arrow on the roof of the school top. That's so right. if I can come up with if I can come up with a big original thing, I, I, th- that's important to me. And I knew this almost for a fact, but I had to look it up. In all my all the years of crime reporting in New York City, there's only been one death by an arrow, and believe mm. it or not, that was over that was over a parking dispute. The guys knew each other. It was one neighbor against another neighbor. So it was a, just a natural thing for me to go, you know, I, I just want every every death is, listen, death by arrow has been done. 
but I wanted to do something original, as original as I can. And then I also wanted to bring it really close to Raymond's work. There's a, you know, one of the big selling points of my books is that Raymond is a New York City school teacher who used to be a cop. Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to bring it almost literally home, but it is mm-hmm. now touching his work. Um, so that's, that's, I think that's a long answer to your question. That's okay. The By the way, you mentioned was, that, I'm sorry, I want to interrupt for a second. Go ahead. You mentioned ahead. that uh, you can see who's listening right now. I don't know who it is, but there's people out there. Yeah. Lots but you can see their area codes. That that five seven feel, three, uh, that five yeah. seven three you mentioned. I guarantee you that is my mother-in-law, Cynthia Hi, Bushman, mother-in-law. and How you doing? she she is the best editor and copy editor proofreader in the world. You should have seen her comments when when I gave her the hook. She was practically yelling at me in the corners. <laughs> Telling me I, 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 I need some. I was, need someone like that. I have an editor, but was, she just corrects my mistakes. I just say to her, Maxine, could you do me a favor and um, just change, you know, the font or give me the spell of my words right and fix my grammar and tell me what you think I should write. She doesn't tell me my content. No, so sad. All I can t- I can tell you this: all five Raymond Dunn books did not go to my professional, my publisher's editor until they went through mm-hmm. my mother-in-law. And, and, and you know, my mother-in-law used thing. to do mine, too, until she died, my mother-in-law. She was my editor and my sister, too, when I lost her. They really critiqued me, and it was fine. Because I take criticism yeah. very well. Then I sit in the floor and Yeah, so, and, and really. my mother-in-law doesn't, uh, doesn't hold any punches either. So she's a, she's a tough uh, southern Midwe- Midwestern woman. So hi, I think Mom. I'm going to adopt her. So the, <laughs> the victim was Mojo or Maurice Joseph. I like her. Uh, I think I'm going to adopt your mother-in-law. Why was he on the roof? And tell us how he came to work at the school. And that was really oh, weird. Well, we don't have to talk about the next question because we already talked about the arrow. So right. I thought that was really yeah, cool. Yeah, Mojo, Maurice, Maurice Joseph is the murder victim, and he is at Raymond's school working off community service for a drug-related charge. So he's actually in rehab. He's, he's getting himself back on his feet. Um, he's on the rooftop because he's working. He, he, one of the things he does is he has a hydroponic garden on the roof, and that goes out to all my science teacher friends who taught me about mm-hmm. that. But, and he also has uh, some pigeons up there. And that's one way he gets the, the kids involved in um, learning about biology is the pigeons and mm-hmm. the, the hydroponic garden. Um, so he's up there, he's working, he's doing his job and, uh, yeah, somebody, somebody needs him not to be alive. And then that's what, that's what it comes down to is, you know, Raymond's, Raymond's one of the last people in the building. So he's one of the first on the scene. Uh, Mm -hmm. He calls, he calls the cop. I, 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 I'm actually very partial to that police officer, um, Detective Royce. He's in three of the books, and he's uh, I know. he's wonderful. He just he just looks at Raymond in the beginning of the book and says, "Man, you're worse than Jessica Fletcher." <laughs> I love Every Jessica. time Raymond shows up, there's a body. I mean, 
It's one of the I things know. we joke about at mystery conventions. If you know, we we should hold one mystery convention in Cabot Cove, Maine, and see how many people come back. It's scary. Well, you should read the last one that John Land. Unfortunately, they took the series away from him. Big mistake. Murder in the Se- Murder in Season was phenomenal. Absolutely one of the best Jessica Fletchers he ever did. But his are all yeah. different. And there's somebody else that's got the series, and that's all I'll say about that. I did not volunteer to read it, though, yet. So, Maurice well, did community service at the school three days a week. How come? I, mean, I was sorry uh, that he, he got killed off because I really like this guy. Seriously. Yeah, he was. You, well, you want the murder victim to be sympathetic, not just because they're they're a murder victim, but also because they have other things going on in their lives. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, you know, I I wanted to show that there are a lot of people out there working their way through substance abuse. They're working their way through their addiction. We, as a society, we sometimes look at drug users, drug abusers as, we do, we look at them as criminals because they actually are breaking the law, most of them. But but a lot of them are just, they're sick. And this guy, Mojo, Maurice Joseph, was sick. But he was getting his life together. He had a reason to get his life together. And I think that's something I wanted to put out there that, you know, I, 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 this is not going to surprise people, but I obviously fall to the left on the political spectrum. I'd rather mm-hmm. see more money spent on preventing crime than reacting to it. Mm-hmm. And there's a very unfortunate phrase out there right now, which I'm going to go out and just. I don't, I don't, I don't like the phrase "defund the police." I really don't. Ooh, I don't me want to too. see one less. I don't want to see one less cop on the street. What I do want to mm-hmm. see is treatment for people who are really not criminals, but they're doing yeah. stuff that puts them in jail. So if, I think if we can do that, I, I think – and listen, I know a lot of cops who were so glad that we decriminalized marijuana. They don't want to deal with that. That, that, that takes them off the streets when, and, and you know, takes them away from the community that they want to yeah. serve. Um, you know, there's a, lot, there's a lot more stuff out there that we need police doing and stuff out there that we, we need other professionals to do. And you can make them NYPD employees, NYPD social workers, NYPD drug intervention specialists. Yeah. We don't always need. We don't always. I, I get some flack from this sometimes, but I really do believe, and I've seen this in New York City firsthand. Whenever you, if you if you have somebody in need in crisis. As soon as you bring in a professional who has a gun, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're escalating the situation. And again, I'm not. I agree my, my with you. My brother just retired from the police force. My brother-in-law retired from the police force recently. I am a, you're gonna, it, you'd be hard-pressed to find a bigger fan of police officers than, than I am. But not every well, situation you're be surprised needs a then. gun. On February 10th, because I wish I could do it before. This is a fact. 
February 10th at 12, Alan Jacobson, Detective Bruce Kaufman, Detective Lance LaRusso, State Trooper Mary Clark, and F- I think he's DEA and FBI former David uh, David Putman are going to be on my show, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about. Uh, we're going to do honoring the men and women in blue, for real. And we're going to talk about cases, what happens when they're misunderstood, what happens when they go wrong, and how do you deal with the public and a whole lot more. That was my idea. Well, that's great. That's great. I look forward to listening to that show. And it you're welcome for the plug. <laughs> yep. So Raymond's girlfriend is a reporter. How does yes, she, she become is. involved in this investigation? I don't think he's too thrilled about it. Actually, he, he called her. Do you her. care about that, Allison? <laughs> yeah, he well, called yeah. her. He, um, uh, or I, I figured exactly how it happens. But, yeah, she's the first on the scene. And yeah. unfortunately, like a lot of journalists and some I know personally, she lost her job in the print media. So she now works for a website that specializes yeah. in. So not only does she, excuse me, not only does she show up at the crime scene, she's got um, a drone with her. So the murder yeah. takes place on the third floor of the building on the rooftop. Um, she she puts her she gets her drone and she gets some really good shots. Um, and that, that obviously does not please. Detective Royce at all um, And then Raymond does ask her To leave eventually But uh, yeah she's there because They were in contact Raymond and Rachel were Raymond and Allison were in contact So So not a complete Where am I here Yeah Romoto was in rehab So that's how he met Lisa right Yes yes Lisa so is one when of the, the t- uh, Lisa's Mojo's wife and I like Lisa. Well, you talk about a job. What's that? I love Lisa. Yeah, you know she. I I I've worked with people like her. I've met people like her. They are some of the hardest working people. Yeah. The people who work in drug rehab are as underpaid as every other professional we say is underpaid. They are doing. They are doing such great work, and they. If, if they're successful, if a, good, if a good drug rehab specialist is successful, you actually could, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, you could put a dollar sign on that. You are preventing crime. You are preventing hospitalizations. You are, you're just on the, you're, 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 you're helping somebody get back into society and becoming that stereotype productive mm-hmm. member of society that we, we tend to throw that word around but I'm telling you school teachers cops social workers drug rehab specialists they're all doing stuff that if, if we paid more attention and maybe paid them more money we could put less yeah. money in other things and I know that sounds like a completely leftist New York thing but it's really not it's it, 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 I just mentioned my mother-in-law. She's in the middle of Missouri, in Jet City, Missouri, and it's it's happening all over the place. This drug addiction and, and, and lives is. being ruined, and 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 people having to go on government assistance. If, if we got in there as professionals and helped these people, you know, get through their illness and then help them make 
decisions that are going to be more positive than negative, we'd be a better place. No, I agree with you. Rather than putting them down and, and, and making them feel like they don't exist, tell them you, right. you're worth it and you can, you can rise above. So when the toxic report comes back, I was surprised. It's, it revealed something that Raymond doesn't believe and or his or his wife believe what is it and it says that he was had he had drugs in his system. That there's no right. way. I don't there's want no to way. give that plot point away. Okay, so we're gonna change the next question. But okay, I we're gonna meet Ed. I, 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 I do want you to know I researched it and the way I did huh? it is completely feasible. I know. Now we meet Edgar. I'm not sure about huh? him. He worked with Edgar, his partner in the security firm. And what was he working on that Edgar didn't know about that might have gotten him killed? Well, again, that's a plot point I don't necessarily want to give away. Oh, okay, so I'll cross it out. The real point, Here we go. The real point is that Edgar, Edgar didn't know what Mojo was doing. Okay. And it does, it does make Mojo look guilty. And listen, this is if you know Edgar, this is yeah. this is his this was his dream for all all the yeah, first I know. four books was to was to be his own boss and run his I own know. security company because nobody knows more about that stuff than Edgar does. So when when Edgar hears that Mojo was doing something behind his back, Edgar. You know, and Edgar is on the spectrum. He doesn't quite understand why people do, why they deceive those they're supposed to love. Um, that's one of the most charming aspects of Edgar. In fact, unfortunately, one of the things that Edgar is learning is not everybody's really nice about things that deal with the people they love. That is very true. Now, we have two other people. I don't know if you want to talk about them, but I'm not going to tell you why, who they are. It was Henderson and Lansing. Yeah, those are, those are characters that come in. Um, yeah. One of them is not who he says he is, which uh-huh. Raymond picks up right away. Right, yep, right, me too. One of, one, of the, uh, one of the benefits slash unfortunate results of working with middle school kids is mm-hmm. you be, you become really aware of when somebody yep. is lying to you. Um, I worked with some kids that I knew they were lying to me because their lips were moving. They just, they, they just, I hate to say this, at, at the age of 12, 13, 14, they had already honed the skill of lying. Yep. Even when they didn't have to. This guy, Henderson, is he's lying for a good reason, and we find out that later. Lansing yep. is he, he's a straight up white supremacist. He, he doesn't That's lie. He you know, say, say what you will about white supremacists, they they don't lie. They're they're pretty honest about uh, their feelings about things. Um, and you know, I I like to tell people in the fifth book, I I. I I wanted to keep it light, so I only brought up the opioid addiction and white supremacy. Mm-hmm. So Allison, I like Allison. She just so goes after mom. it and doesn't stop. I know, yeah. I like, well, she's like me because my husband criticizes me every day because I want to know something. 
I'm gonna. I'm not gonna stop till I get the answer. No matter how many right. people I have to annoy, I'm gonna do it. Because that's you're the only like, way you're like, get any you're answers like the in this Columbo. world. You're the Columbo of, uh, of, of yeah, that's exactly of crime right. Writers. Yeah. That's exactly right. And Allison by the way, my mother, have... my mother asks me every time uh, Allison showed up in book two. Since mm-hmm. book three, my mother, 89 and a half years old, keeps asking me, when are Raymond and Allison going to get married? That's a question a lot of people want to know, but that would sort of She's ruin completely it. Invested. She's completely invested in that. So he should marry is, her because she's she's really different, and she keeps him on the straight and narrow sort of, not really. So, and he does that for her too. I know. That's had why some, I like them together. They've had some really good discussions. Allison seems to have her own agenda, so why does he keep giving in to what she wants? And she writes the articles, and she never thinks it through. Sometimes people write things, and they just write them, and they go, "Uh oh, I shouldn't have done that." Well, um, again, the few journalists that I know personally, mm-hmm. um, they even the on now now it's a lot of it's gone online. They are under an enormous amount of pressure to produce copy to keep the story going. So she sees this story, she sees Mojo's death, and then she looks into another aspect of it, and it's a good, I hate to say this, it's a good story she has. Uh, I, I, I hate to say it only because it involves other people's tragedy and other people's ill will. Mm-hmm. But that's, that makes a good story. I mean, any crime writer that's will right. tell you that, but journalists feel the same way. You know, I was, I was, watching, a, I was watching a Norwegian drama um, just this week. And the reporter, when she finds out that the murder victim was a male, an adult male, she goes, oh, it should have been a young girl. And then she catches herself because she realizes a young girl is a much better story than a middle-aged man getting murdered. So Allison is under pressure to produce. Um, I know. She's also, one thing she and Raymond share is, you said this about yourself, and I'll say it about myself, is this curiosity that just That's won't right. get squashed until all the answers are, are out there. That's well, I did that as a dean, too, yeah. Because even, even when kids would get in trouble, and they did every day, and I was very busy, the one thing I would say to them, if you know, sometimes I have to cool off, take a step back, and just mm-hmm. chill out for 10 minutes, and I would, you know, get them a soda, you know, some water, just relax. And then I would say to them, rather than speak, why don't you just write down what you want to say? Yeah, yeah. And, and they no, did. did you know what? They felt better. They, I said, just let it all out. And I looked at them. I said, and if you haven't used a few expletives that you shouldn't write, don't worry about it. I'm not going to say anything. Sometimes right. I have to say it the way they have to say it. And sometimes yes. they use words that I never heard of. And I go like, did you really say that? They said, are we going to get in trouble? Like, no, you've got to let it out, especially when it's two kids that have a fight that were best friends. Well, that's the beauty. That's the beauty of, of letting yeah. kids talk is yeah. you hear stuff that grownups don't usually hear. I, when, my first book came, when my first book came out, Sacrifice Fly, which is still available, by I the read way, that. Um, when that first came out, I was getting a lot of compliments on the way I made 
the kids talk, the way That's I make right. the kids speak. I said, I'm stealing from them. This is right out of their mouths. This is the way mm-hmm. they talk to each other. This is the way they talk to adults. This is the way they talk when they're in crisis. And again, that comes down to being able to listen. So, you know, I, I always said that if I got two things I could never get wrong in my books was what happened in school and what happened with the cops. Because That's true. The school stuff, that was my life. Cop stuff, my brother would have kicked my butt if I got any of that wrong. Unless I could use some help with that, too. So Lisa's determined, I like Lisa, to have Ray solve the case. But Edgar needs to step up. So what is he? He has trouble dealing with people, Edgar. Well, a lot of people does. do. So what, why, does he, why does he want him to solve the case? Because she doesn't trust the police. Edgar doesn't. Edgar trusts Raymond. Yeah, Edgar, I know. Um, Edgar, Edgar kind of puts the police a, a bit on a pedestal. He, he always, that would have been his perfect job to work, to work technical services unit for NYPD. He loves cops. That's why he hangs out at that cop bar. But when it comes down to who Edgar trusts, it's Mm -hmm. Raymond. And in this fifth book, one of the things I changed about Edgar was Allison's been around so long now, Mm -hmm. this is her fourth appearance, he's starting to trust Allison. And and one of the reasons he does that is because the guy he trusts the most is in love with this woman, so she must be a good person. And and you also mm-hmm. see Edgar warming up a bit to uh, Detective Royce. Royce is well, a before bit, I... um, confused, befuddled by by Edgar, but, but Raymond, as so as, Raymond's principal. Raymond I, I wasn't sure about this guy. The principal of the school. Oh, we all have yeah. them, don't we? <laughs> Some of them are good. <laughs> for for the first thirty three oh. years of my of school, I helped run the building because I had a I have a principal's license and a superintendent license. Unfortunately, when you go to when you go up for these positions, they usually unfortunately take the person that's already there. And a couple yeah. of the schools were aggravated because they actually wanted this little person because they thought I was good enough to do it. When I went up for my school, I knew I was lost because I knew this new principal wanted who she wanted, and I got that. So I settled for being writing and staff developer and dean, and you know what? You just take it the way it is. But I worked for principals that were unbelievable, and the one before her, Dr. E, was I saw her, she died. She was the unbelievable person because I, I was in school at 6.30 in the morning with mm-hmm. a reading group that came in at a quarter to seven, for real, on my time. And they just came in and they said, we're here. You have to help us. I go, I don't even like you. What do you mean you have to help you? I mean, one little kid, one kid came in. He says, I'm 12 years old. They never learned to read. I just came from Jamaica. And they told me you know what you're doing. I'm not leaving until you show me. I, I don't laugh or cry. I cracked up laughing. I go, in 10 minutes, I guarantee you're going to read 100 words. In 20 minutes, you're going to read 200 words. And I was right. So, you know, that that's just the way it is. And I, I loved it. But the principle that, that's there now, I'm trying to figure out why. So, what does he convince him to do? And what does he convince? What is the prince? He doesn't. The principal of the school. You, I don't know. And what does he convince him that he's going to do anyway? Because I can't tell well, if he's on he, him. He's on how he really feels about Raymond. Well, 
he, he's got mixed feelings about Raymond. Yeah, that's what I said. And I, I can, I, <laughs> my mother-in-law is going to laugh in Missouri about this. I don't think I ever worked for a principal who didn't have mixed feelings about me. That's I, uh, me too. I, I, I did what I did rather well, but I also had, I had an attitude about myself. You know, I, I, I kind of, uh-huh. I, 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 I come across sometimes like I know more than I do. Um, one thing you need to know, another thing you need to know about principles is in all the years I was working, and that was 30 years, uh-huh. I only knew two of them. I'm not going to mention names. I only knew two <laughs> principals who who were good at it and happy to do the job. They it, it, they almost are mutually exclusive. If you like doing the job of principal, you might not be good at it. And if you're good at it, you might not be happy that you're good at it. Uh-huh. Um, now that's there's an assistant principal in my life who, who who was both good and happy with it and probably saved my career the last five years, keeping my definitely saved my salary. But as far as Ron goes, Ron is um is, is Raymond's principal. Yep, he is. He he listen, stuff happens and you know, there have been principals in New York City that got in trouble for not reporting major incidents that happened mm-hmm. in their building. And this is true. That's, that's against the rules. They just don't want their school to get a reputation. So on the one hand, Ron is, you know, listen, Ron's, Ron's the principal of the school in the middle of Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and not the hip Williamsburg. The, the the school that I have in mind is the last one I worked at in Brooklyn, which is surrounded, uh, well, on three sides, by the housing projects. So we, we had stuff happen at our school that had nothing to do with our school, and I had to deal with that. Ron, Ron hates that. Ron would be, my, in fact, I mentioned it in this book, I think it's The Hook or the, or, or Nasty Cutter, that Ron, Ron would much rather be... The, the principal of an all-white school in New Jersey. Ooh, that's um, fun. So as much as he looks at Raymond and, you know, gives him that, you're, you know, that, that I, I wish you weren't here kind of thing, when, mm-hmm. when the proverbial poop hits the fan, he's so glad that Raymond's around. Because Raymond can deal, number one, Raymond can deal with the cops. Raymond can deal with angry parents. Raymond can and deal with kids, kids in crisis. And you know, this is not Ron's skill. Ron's, Ron's skill is paperwork. That's too bad. Well, before I forget, yeah. on Monday, this is truly an honor. And I was really excited and shocked. On Monday, Alan Jacobson, Jeffrey Deaver, Heather Graham and John Lesclaw will be, yeah, at 12 wow. o'clock. I, I was like, holy God, nothing good happens after midnight. That anthology was fantastic. On the 23rd, in memory of Clive Gussler, Boyd Morrison will be here with Marauder. On the 28th, someone we all know and love, Matt Coyle, Blind Vigil. This is his best one yet. 
And on the 30th, I have to redo um, my show from December 2nd. I can't say why on the air, but I was blindsided with a, a text message from someone, and I my expletives came out. I said, oh, my God, you got to be kidding me. And so Sage Webb will be here with the Venduri effect, and she cracked up laughing as I after what I said, well, we're going to keep going. And to start the new year, Dick Belsky, John Land, Charles Salzberg, and Vincent Zandri, we're going to talk about changes in the publishing industry in 2021. And hopefully they'll be able to smile. And before I forget, I have a special thank you to the doctors and manager Matt at City MD in Yonkers. You are the best. I appreciate you, Tiffany, Cassidy, Kelly, and Gabby. Dr. Tadio and Dr. Rodriguez. Dr. Anthony and Anna at Bronx Gastro, thank you for yesterday. And Rothman Orthopedics, thank you for smiling at me and for wanting to download my niece's new song that's coming out on January 1st, Eat Your Heart Out by Carly. I'm excited. Thank you to all those people, and a special thank you to Tim and all the authors that are keeping my mind going, sending me books, and send me more people, and doing my interviews. I appreciate it. <laughs> Seriously. It keeps me from I, I believe thinking Fran about the fact that I can't go anywhere. <laughs> so, you know, you mentioned um, Jeffrey Deaver. I, I was like, Jeffrey. oh, my God. He asked for the interview, by the way. They did. I'll tell you something. I, years ago, uh, I went to, uh, to see Jeffrey Deaver read and give a little mm-hmm. speech at uh, Partners in Crime, which was yep. just an amazing bookstore in Greenwich Avenue. Greenwich Street in, uh, in, in, in the village. And Jeffrey Deaver said something. This was before, this was years before my first book came out. And Jeffrey Deaver said something that if I ever get a tattoo, this might be it. He said that he felt his main responsibility as a writer, and this is what the words I'll never forget, he said, I want to shatter my audience's expectations. And, and he I does. Thought, I just went. I was like, "Holy cow! That that's that's Bible worth. Shatter your audience's expectations, because we read. You know, there's only so much we can do. You know, I, I always say that the, the Greeks took all the good plots. Shakespeare stole from the Greeks. We we're, we're not coming up with a lot of brand new stuff. But when, when Deaver said that, shatter your audience's expectations, I was like, that's a, that's a mission. And I was, I was lucky enough to run into him a couple years ago. He was walking, mm. I, was, I was uncharacteristically at the bar at Bauschakan, and he walked by, and I, I tracked him down, and I think he thought I was a crazed fan at first. And I just went to him, I said, I repeated that to him. And he looked at me and went, I said that? I said, yes, you said that. So I, I will never, I, I, and, and in this book, the, uh, the Hook, I do something three quarters of the way in that was really inspired by Jeffrey Deaver's comment about shattering the audience's expectations. So I owe him. As a lot of well, well, you do because I have read. My husband kept count. I won't tell you how many thousands of books Fran has reviewed, has reviewed in the last ten years. Seriously, mm-hmm. and 
sometimes I read them, you know, with characters in a series, and I go, oh, God, it's the same character, just another story. Do I have to really read this? Am I going to get root? I feel like I'm going through root canal. And then I pick up one of yours or John Land or um, Alan Jacobson or Matt Coyle or anybody that writes fantastic series, and I'm going like, oh, my God, this is what he did to them this time? How do you decide where to put them next time? And that's what I've been asking everybody. So Allison has a – who is Harlan, and what is his relationship with Allison? Say, you, 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 I missed the whole question here. I'm sorry. Tell us about Harlan and, and Allison. Do they have a, a friendship relationship? Who, who and Allison? Harlan. Oh, oh, okay. they. Um, Let's go. To no, that's a. Um, that's a. That's a. That's a story that Allison. We're not going to tell. Looked at. Okay. And said, "This is a good story." And then she really started yeah. feeling for this young man. Um, it's not giving away too much. This is a young man who has escaped the white supremacist movement. And it's, it's, he's based on a real character that I researched. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's really, he was brought up to be a white supremacist. Um, that's scary. I hate it's the same way people are brought up to be a certain religion. There's no, there was no choice for this young man. And then he, as as I did, I was brought up in a in a major religion with no choice of my own. Um, and then you start living your life and you start seeing chinks in the armor. You know, this 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 dogma that's been thrown at you for years. You start going, well, if that's true, then why is this true? And that's that's what this young man discovered. And you know. So far, I haven't been hunted down by the Catholic Church for leaving, but Harlan's in danger for this. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You know, I've noticed in the last since this pandemic started, every five minutes I get I get questioned. Do I want to review something? Now, people, let me just say this: I only review print. That's it. I'm not going to say why. Mm-hmm. I just review print. I will. I can't read it. If I can't destroy it, write in it, and do it, I won't read it. And I can't read it on my computer. So I'm going to skip the next two questions because we don't want to know what happens to anybody like Allison. She's unyielding at times, and at times her viewpoint seems to be the only one that she considers. How come? She's a reporter. She uh, she's stubborn. She's yeah, like me. Remarkably curious. Um, she will, as good reporters do, go where the story takes her and stick to the facts. Um, in this case, she's not only reporting on a story, she's doing a feature on a young man. And mm-hmm. she's letting him she's letting him tell his story. So that's where she becomes the listener. But, you know, good reporters will just report the facts and they'll, they'll keep their personal opinions out of it. You know, that's been a big thing over the past few years about the way reporters write and what's the difference between a, a journalist and a columnist and an editorialist, all that stuff. But Allison, I want her to come across as she, she might have been a good guy. 
if she went that way. She she's a good listener. She can put the facts together and and put it into a cohesive narrative. And she could also take a young man like the one in the book and just let him speak. And he becomes more of a person just by Allison listening to him. Uh, one of the things I actually did that was different mm-hmm. in this book, uh, five times I have Allison's writing in the book. Mm-hmm. So yes, for the does. first four books, for the first four books, it's all first-person Raymond. This is the first time in, in in the hook where I let someone else's voice take over, and that's Allison's voice, and it's through her writings. So well, that's that, what I really enjoyed. I have the book in I front of me. Yeah, I haven't seen that a lot in other people's fiction. So that's mm. that's one of the you, you talk about Jeffrey Deaver's comment about shattering yeah. your audience's expectation. Well, mm. that's not a dramatic example of it, but for readers of Raymond Dunn, to hear Allison's voice come through without Raymond's filter is something I've never done before. And I, I'd like to think I did it well. You, you did it well, but there are a lot of people that do that, exactly do that, because you know how many books I've read. And some of them, you know what I don't like is when they do a flashback and the flashback happens in the middle. I read paragraph one, and all of a sudden they're flashing back somewhere else, and they go like, "What?" Uh, yeah, I, I you got you. You have to be kidding you and me. You're on the same page. You're absolutely on the yeah, same that, page there. I, the, I that teach drives writing me crazy. as well. Yeah, I teach writing as well, and that is, boy, that's like every yeah, that, everybody that, who writes a book wants to do a flashback, and yeah, I, I don't even like the term. I don't even like the term flashback. I, I, I'll go, I'll say you're shifting us and you're shifting the time, the narrative yeah. time. Timeline but as long too, as yeah. it moves, as long as it moves the story forward, I can live with that. You know, sometimes they don't, I don't do, Yeah, I know. And it's, it, I, I, I think sometimes it's filler. Um, you know, you were told to have eighty-five to ninety thousand words, and you need more, so you put in a flashback that doesn't affect the present-day narrative. A mm. lot of times, a lot of times, I hate to say this, I think it covers up lazy writing. I forgot to mention this, so I better throw in a flashback to, to justify this. See, Raymond, I don't do flashbacks. I'll have Raymond. Raymond tells stories. You make it so much easier people, for me when you don't. <laughs> yeah. Or people tell stories about Raymond, but but they come up in the moment because they they deal with that moment and they flashbacks need to do two things um, or shifting in time, whatever you want to say. They they need to keep the narrative moving, and that sounds like an oxymoron, but it's it's possible. Yeah. Um, and they need to reveal character. It, it just it's that you shouldn't be showing off. You shouldn't be filling up space. Um, Boy, when it's done badly in a movie, you just go, yuck, you know? I know. So sometimes, she, she, why, why does he always looks at her point of view? But at times, she won't look at his, which reflects on, I'm not going to say how the story ends. I was like, I went like, what? The ending well, I reflects think they... this viewpoint. I think they go at each other pretty well. I think they keep each other honest. 
Yeah, um, but there's times but the that ending, you can't the ending, tell her something. The ending something. is definitely a twist, that's for sure. Yes, the ending is, uh, that's one of, that's something I've been wanting to do for a while. And yeah, you it, did. Yeah, and I, again, I, I, I think I pulled it off. Um, you and I was kind of, uh, I was pretty annoyed at one of the major, it's always nice to get reviewed by one of the major outlets out there. One of them gave away that plot point. Um, I would never do in that, a, in, ever. In a compliment, right before they used the word daringly, I did something daringly, they said about me, the author, um, and then it gives away the plot point. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> do you not get the point? I, I would have said something. That's, you know, I, I write reviews, so many of them, and it's very rare that I would ever put a spoiler in it. And I always send the, the um, author the, the review. And once in a while I get like, oh, could you take that sentence out? And I go like, why? It really wasn't a spoiler. And I go, well, I don't have to do that. But if it's really something that I find that, oh, God, why did I write that? I will take it out because that's not why I'm there. I mean, I even you had one, one the- I won't say which author that you probably know from the Philithus, her publicist said, I don't like this paragraph. I think you should take it out. And if you don't, I'm calling Amazon to take your review off. I said, feel free. I said, better yet, you know what? I'll take it off for you because it's a five-star review. You don't want it? She's got three two-star reviews. Oh, well. And I just said, you know what? I don't care. Yeah, my, my words. I don't write negative reviews ever. And I don't write spoilers. If I don't think a book is three and a half to four stars, I won't review it. I'll just toss it or just write a, a summary. Because I'm not there to can somebody's work. I have mixed feelings about that. Yeah, I know. A um, lot of people do. Sometimes a review should say this is not, this doesn't work, that doesn't work. But the, the, the plot point that you and I have both talked about, the thing that I do, that goes right to your point. Yeah. When you're holding, when you're holding a physical book and you know you've got this much left, and I'm holding my finger like a quarter inch away yeah. from each other, when you know you've got that much left and the author does something you don't expect, that's exciting. I think that's exciting. It what was. are you going to do with I, the, the, the last 80 pages? What, do you, what, what did you You just threw the reader a curveball. And you don't get that. Electro- electronic books have their, have their place. I have the complete mm-hmm. works of Edgar Allan Poe on my nook. Okay? I, they, they have their place. But when I was writing The Hook, and I did what I did about three-quarters of the way through, I'm visualizing the ideal reader holding the book and going, what the hell? I've got this many pages left, and he just did this? That's, that's right. That's exciting. That's exciting to me. And it's exciting when other writers do that to me. And it's, it's, unfortunately, it's all too rare. So I, I, broke, I broke the formula in this, in this fifth book. It's, it's rare that they that do purpose. it the right way, though. Sometimes I could tell you that they're going to do it. Oh, um, yeah. James, James Grapando's new book is coming out. On January, and I told I I was shocked. He's going to do a half an hour with me on my radio show. I was like, Oh my god! And it's about a, a terrorist attack, 
An 18-year-old Muslim student says that he just says, I did it, and it goes from there. And he did a mm-hmm. good job, but there are parts of it. I said, I'm wondering myself, why of all now at this time did you pick this as a topic, as a, as a plot point? Maybe he started to write it before. It reminds you of 9-11. It reminds me that we have to be careful. It reminds you that you have to be vigilant. It's, it's good. It's, it's called 20. So where do you see both Raymond and Allison in the future? What's next for them? Uh, I'm sorry. Is this my There's mother be a next for them. I'm going to be very disappointed. I, I honestly don't know. I'm working on a standalone right now. Um, oh, yay. What I, what I refer to as a high school-based crime drama. And, oh, good. Um, I'll give a plug to someone who needs no plugs. It's really inspired by the work of Megan Abbott. Megan Abbott. Oh, good. Is, you talk about you talk about somebody doing original stuff, and somebody who's getting all the acclaim she should be getting. She's she's wonderful. So I wanted to, as, as a teacher, I thought, you know, I can, I'm going to try this. So I don't know what's going to happen to Raymond, um, Allison, Edgar. Uh, you know, I, nobody's nobody's calling me up asking for a sixth one who's, you know, a publisher. Oh, I would. So if I did well, that, without a doubt. <laughs> well, we'll we'll see what happens. I, I uh, you know, one of my heroes is Dennis Lehane, and he did five Pat and Angie mm-hmm. books, and then took a break and, you know, only produced Mystic River, which is one of the best crime stories of the last thirty mm-hmm. years. So. I did five Raymond books. I'm taking a break. I'm doing this high school-based crime drama. Um, I have other stories for Raymond. I have other baseball-related titles for Raymond. Oh, good. I just don't know. I just don't know what's going to happen. So where where can we find out more about you and your work, everybody? It's Hanukkah today, and it's Christmas coming up in Kwanzaa. People need presents. You can can go to all the places. All the places you buy books, uh, I'd love it if you went to an indie and ordered yeah, it directly. Me too. Uh, my website, unfortunately, has been un- unsupervised for about a year, so it's out of date. <laughs> but if, if, if you Google me, Tim O'Mara, author, my books will come up. They're, they're, they're on every platform you could possibly buy books. And I do want to give a shout-out to Down and Out Books down in Florida. They're an independent, and you mentioned Charles Salzberg before. They uh, they they published our trilogy of trilogies. Uh, they've also published Down to the River, which is a collection of short stories that I had the pleasure of editing. So, uh, who's ever listening, please think indie indie bookstores, indie publishers. There's a lot of great stuff out there that doesn't have James Patterson's name on it. So. I Shop agree wisely. with you, and I won't even tell you that I can't get his books. I was getting them for a while, and his publicist, who I know who she is, is missing out on my words. I'm serious because I'm really good, and he has been. Done, good, he hasn't right? been getting that many good. He hasn't been getting that many great reviews. So, well, what can I say? He, anyway, I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure what Patterson cares about reviews. But, uh, I, I don't know. He doesn't. He doesn't. Like, you know, he doesn't really need it. So everybody. Well, I'll tell you something. He he has uh, he has helped a lot of authors 
by he does. He's, he's putting a their name person. on I just wish... with him. And he's done a lot for independent bookstores as well. A lot. I wish he would come on my radio bookstores. show to talk about his YA series. That would really right. make me happy. But everybody, Tim, thank you so very much. And what thank I say, you, what I say, at the, are you guys writing another trilogy? By the way, Alatel. I don't know what we're doing. We'll, we'll we'll have to talk about that. Right now, I need to stay focused on my uh, my high school based crime drama. Well, before I end every show, I do this every single time. I saw this on the highway, and I sort of adopted it as my thing. One small ask, everyone. I'll protect you if you protect me. Please wear a mask. It's so very important. And everybody stay safe, social distance, wash your hands, and make sure that you understand that in 2021, we're going to all be able to smile again without them. Let's hope. Tim, thank you very much. Everybody have a great day. And to your mother-in-law, thank you for listening. And I could use a good editor. Thank you so much, and bye. (laughs) Bye.